Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Well, it's good to, to be here this morning with you all. Um, you know, I, I'm on uh, not too much social media, but I do love TikTok. You know, it's something that I, I learn a lot of, like, cool recipes from and DIY projects. But one of the hashtags I love on social media is the hashtag TIL. And TIL, if you don't know, um, um, stands for Today I Learned. And sometimes it's really funny because people share things that, you know, they, they know they should have known all their lives but just um, learned it recently, and so they'll post a video about that. And it reminded me of a time when my wife and I were still dating in college, and she was over at my parents' house. I was living there at the time, and, and she asked me for uh, uh, a towel. And I said, oh, you want a paste towel? And my wife was asking, what's a paste towel? I said, you know, that little towel, the paste towel. And then so I went to the closet, and I pulled it out, and I said this, don't you want a paste towel? And she goes, that's not a paste towel, that's a face towel. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? All my life, you know, my mom always said this was a paste towel. So I called my sisters, Maribel, Gina, come over here. What do you call this? And they both said, it's a paste towel. <laughs> and so Abby is just cracking up because she knows where, where, the, where the translation came from. You know, if you're Filipino, you know there's no, like, true Tagalog, there's no F sounds. And so even, you know, when, when I'm in Philippines, I don't say I'm Filipino, I'm Pilipino. Um, you know, and, and so the F sound is kind of this, like, Hispanic or Anglicized way of saying, you know, what, what, you know what's commonly referred to as Filipino. But I was just honestly so embarrassed because Abby was laughing at me, and I was just like, you know, like, feeling like this, this is really dumb. I should have known that this was a face towel. Um, and, but, you know, there's a lot of things, right, as I'm growing older in life, realizing there are a lot of stuff I've missed. Um, and one of those things, as I was thinking about in relationship to faith, um, is the, you know, something I think I should have known early on, is the word justice. And that's the word that we're actually going to talk about today. Growing up, I, uh, if you remember, I, um, you know, was pretty immersed in Christian conservative apologetics. I did a lot of evangelism around the Reformed tradition. And for me, the word justice really related to uh, just the justification of God. I even had, as one of my favorite books by John Piper, this book just purely devoted to Romans 9. And it was um, entitled The Justification of God. And in it, he spells out the doctrine of election, you know, how, do, how a sinner can be made, um, you know, um, um, righteous in the eyes of a holy God. And, and so that word justice for me for so long had kind of this narrow definition of how do we become justified before God. And that was, you know, the, the thrust of my understanding. Even throughout seminary, that was the emphasis. But the more I delved into Scripture, I began to realize that justice wasn't primarily used around election and salvation. But the idea of justice, especially throughout the Old Testament, was about seeing all people as image bearers of God who deserve to be treated fairly or justly. And so in my younger days, my focus on justice was about retributive justice, right? About how to solve the problem of evil and get sinners, you know, 
out of the hands of an angry God. But there was another way that scripture was actually like emphasizing what justice was about that I ignored for so long. And that is the idea of restorative justice. It is the idea that people should be treated fairly, that God calls on every person, even every country, every leader, and all of society to make things right. Not in only in economic terms, but especially in giving value and dignity to all people. And so, you know, even Jesus, in the beginning of his uh, ministry after his baptism, you know, proclaims his mission statement in Luke chapter 4 as the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so in essence, Jesus is, is proclaiming liberation. He, he's echoing the, the books of Moses where it talks about the year of Jubilee, that there will be forgiveness, that there will be restitution, slaves will go free, debts will be canceled. And, and it was the sense of like justice will be restored on earth. And, you know, we don't have a lot of time to go into the whole um, idea of restorative justice. But, but I hope you can, like, look it up, you know, Google that, type in restorative justice and look at all the biblical, you know, texts regarding that. But today I want to focus um, on um, Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And in Luke 16, 19, it says there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came in and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he called to him and said, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. You know, when I read this story, it, it's very, like, striking to me because this rich man that Jesus is trying to, to describe isn't this, like, overtly immoral man. It's not like he's overtly, like, committing some kind of excessive sexual sin or being a bully or outright abusive. The, the descriptor here is that he's merely a, a rich man enjoying a very comfortable, luxurious life. I look at that story and I realize that Jesus is talking about me. He's talking about us. He's talking about the communities we live in. And, and that's the first thing we have to get about this story. Is that in the story, Jesus is trying to show us that, that the person to be pitied in the story is not so much Lazarus, who was the poor, but rather the rich man who had failed to see the value in the person that was outside of his gate that the rich man lived in such a way that that he he created this gate to keep him from ever like paying attention to the image of God that was sitting right outside of his his door and so what Jesus is basically saying in the story 
It is of the two people here, the Lazarus and the rich man, the person that is in need of rescue is me. And so I know that, you know, as the community pastor hired back in January, my task, you know, one of my tasks is like, you know, to help our church get involved in the community. But, but I've been involved in churches long enough to know that if I like set up some kind of like feeding program or some kind of activity, that that enough is not, that, that's not enough to get people actually excited and to go there. Because you know what? People probably won't show up. It's more comfortable for us to like, you know, redeem our, our you know, work, you know, our weekends, you know, from a long week at work. Um, and I think sometimes we think of compassion also and the idea of justice as like the savior complex where we see ourselves as the giver and other people as receivers, but compassion isn't this external thing that I can just plan and organize. I see placing ourselves in some kind of compassion type ministry as more of us, you know, the way we look at ourselves in the mirror in the morning. You know, I got up this morning to get ready, and I, you know, looked closely to make sure I was, you know, I got all the spots shaved, right, around my face that needed to be shaved. I looked in the mirror again to make sure my hair was combed properly and that, you know, my, my shirt was buttoned up right. And, and the, fa- the, the mirror is this thing that helps me see who I am. What Jesus does in calling us to move towards compassion It's not so much that we are the Savior that has a lot to give and that people are in so much need that that we need to just give and they need to receive. But rather, it's, it's Jesus saying, when you go out, what it actually is, is a mirror for you to see who you really are. When you are faced with people who are in disadvantaged positions, When you are looking at people who have been historically oppressed by society or the church, what do you feel? What do you see? And in this story, Jesus is is pretty much telling us through the rich man, do you see the image of God in that person? Because if you don't, then there is something that is, is... causing your heart to grow dark. And then you're the one, we are the one that needs saving. And so when I'm out and about and, and I come across people who have been marginalized, and sometimes my first reaction is not compassion, right? But sometimes it's fear. When, when there's someone that is asking for something of me, all of a sudden I no longer believe in abundance. But now it's like scarcity is like overtaking my heart. And so what God does in those circumstances is he puts a mirror to us. And he tells us, pay attention. Because I'm trying to tell you something about who you are right now. And if you don't pay attention, you're going to be like that rich man who continues to set up walls. Who continues to shut the gate and who makes... their own heart grow cold and dark. And so the reason why we, we are called to compassion is not so much to be a savior to other people, 
but it is to save ourselves. And if that's not, if, 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 if we can't see that, then, then we don't understand what God is actually calling us to. When he calls us towards spiritual growth, when he sums up the great commandments and, and loving God as that of loving our neighbor, that God is calling us to grow in our capacity to love. And he does that in the way we are able to share in the lives of people in calling us towards justice. The means towards that growth is not for us to huddle in some kind of like exclusive Bible study group that happens on Thursday nights. The way we can exegete Scripture the best and understand it in all of its application towards love and compassion is in the context of real relationships. That's where we discover the mystery, the beauty, the glory, the majesty, and the abundance of God. Because when we are, when we are closed off in our private like spaces in our homes, we'll forever never understand what abundance means because we hoard it. But God is calling us to be in proximity to people that we might understand what love, compassion, and the image of God is in all people. And so I want to call on Holly right now to kind of share some stories just on her journey. And I as I've gotten to know Holly, she has just like blessed me so much and has like really opened my eyes in a lot of ways. And I'll, I'll let her share the stories for herself with you. Hi, good morning. Uh, yeah, my name is Holly. And uh, just have first on my notes to introduce myself. So um, Danny asked me to uh, share a little bit about Precious Lamb. And it's a, a an organization that I'm sure a lot of people have heard about, not a lot of people know about. So let me just share a little bit about who they are and what they do. So Precious Lamb is a um, preschool, a tuition-free, Christ-centered preschool for kids who are facing homelessness. What that means is that um, if, uh, if they're living in like a homeless shelter or if they're living in a drug rehab center with their parents, they're able to come to the school tuition free uh, and be very, very well cared for. Uh, we could all use that kind of love. Uh, but be very well cared for while their parents, uh, usually it's the mom, but sometimes it's both or sometimes every once in a while it's just the dad. But while they go through some other programs and try and pull stuff back together, find a job, go through uh, rehab, things of that nature. And um, some of the things that makes it great being there is the teachers. Uh, the teachers and the staff there, literally, they don't do it for the paycheck. I can tell you that right now. It's a nonprofit. Um, preschool teachers don't get paid a lot anyways. But certainly for a nonprofit, I feel like that goes down quite a bit. But I, I can't express to you. It's like they're like these angelic kind of, you know, messengers from heaven. <laughs> they take care of these kids so well. And what they do is they instill like a value in them. Uh, they are seen. They are loved. Um, a lot of them are potty trained and taught not to hit other people. Um, 
so now my part in that, to just give you a little background about who they are. So my part in that is that I am part of the mentoring for the moms. And I have to say dads too. So that's only been a recent addition. But I do the mentoring for the moms. And what, what that looks like is we meet, physically we meet about once a month. And we've now called it the breakfast club pardon me, and meet about once a month, and we get together, and really, sometimes there's an activity, sometimes we have someone come in, Barb comes in a lot, um, to do like a devotional, or, you know, something to that effect, but it's really, it's about the sharing, it's like this safe place for these women to come and share about what's going on with their lives, a lot of times, most of the time, I I don't want to say all the time, I try not to say that, but so let's just say most of the time, There's so much shame involved in how they got there. And the problem with shame is that, yeah, you you certainly have guilt on the inside when you do things, right, that maybe isn't uh, um, the benefit of your child, right? But when there's shame involved, it's, it's like this block wall that you can't get over, and I'm sure we've all experienced that. The other thing about shame that I have found, at least in this experience, is that it's usually external. It's usually not coming from the inside. It's definitely not coming from Jesus, but it's usually external. And sometimes it looks like, oh, well, I'm so glad you're getting it back together. Your kids really need you. And sometimes it's outright shame, kind of like what Danny was talking about. Like the person you go, oh, yeah, you need too much. And so I just don't even want to get close to you. Either way, the message is that unless you can get into this circle that we have, I have predetermined is the way you should be, the, the mother you should be, the job you should have, the clothes you should wear, and the words you say, unless you can like kind of meet in there, and sometimes a circle is this big, but it's always a circle. Um, unless you can meet those criteria like, sorry, you're just kind of on the outside and you're going to continue to be on the outside. And so that's why I love it there because this group gets to talk about things openly and they don't have that. A lot of times it's because we have very similar stories, but a lot of times it isn't. And it's simply a place where we can go, I say we, because I feel like I benefit sometimes way more than they do from my presence. (laughs) And sometimes we can all just be there for each other and hear those stories of like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm going through, and it's horrible, right? Those of you who are parents, and even those of you who have parents, (laughs) which kind of covers all of us, can understand that relationship, right? But especially with your kids, like, when you let your kids down, it's really rough. But imagine letting your kids down to the point where they're actually living with, some, with strangers and you can't have them because of the mistakes that you've made. Most of those mistakes, I will say, like all of our mistakes, stem from uh, shame, right? That shame that we were talking about. That shame, generally, I find, comes from trauma Some people have more severe trauma than others, right? And some people have trauma on trauma on trauma. Well, I won't even say some. Again, it's that whole, like, I don't want to say all of us, but 
most of us, right? And it just lives out different ways. Some of us have natural advantages. Um, parents, color of our skin, money, whether we're accepted or not, those kinds of things. Um, <clears throat> so that changes things a little bit, right? So how I got involved, let me just share a little bit of my story. How I got involved with this was that uh, I showed up here at LBCF about 16, you're 16 or 17. It's a very fuzzy time for me. It's about 16 or 17 years ago. <clears throat> and I met Barb, and she invited me to um, a women's uh, Bible study we used to have on Monday nights. And I came, because she came up to me. It was right in those double doors, and I remember it so clearly. And she came up to me and said, hey, I just wanted to say I saw you from across the room, and I really feel like Jesus is really doing something to you. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go to that Monday night thing. So <laughs> I showed up, and here's what I kind of said. And I, again, it's very, very fuzzy. Here's what I said. I said, listen, you need to know something about me before you accept me. I probably didn't say those exact words, but that's certainly what I was feeling is that I'm really hungover, and I'm not high right now, but I will be later tonight, because I'm going to go see my boyfriend who's married to someone else and has kids, but that's after my ship shift at the strip bar. So if you can accept all that, I know that I'm being called. Can you accept that? And you know what she said to me? Sorry, I didn't mean to make this about you, Barb, but she said to me, she goes, Holly, that's all fine. God has so much grace for you. And... I don't care if you are high or not. I want you to come here anyway. And it's like she saw me and, and loved me and valued me, even though I wasn't in that circle or didn't think I was, right? She, was, she already told me, hey, you know what? I'm going to actually move my circle to include you. So Barb and Mary Trine uh, were serving at Precious Lamb, and they were trying to, like, Precious Lamb and Barb and Mary and some others were, like, trying to get some stuff together, and they asked me if I would come and speak. This is in 2011, I think. They asked me if I would come and speak at this Mother's Day event, and I was like, yeah, I don't have too many good things to say about mom right now, um, but I could share on parenting. I could share on being a mom. Like, I could share that. Anyways, I showed up. I wasn't super well-received visually because <laughs> I showed up. I wore, like, a little suit, you know? Anyways, um, I, I've never worn a suit there since. So, uh, <laughs> and literally one of the girls who looked at me, she looked at me and literally gave me that look and physically took her chair and turned her back on me. And I thought, oh, that was a rough crowd. Anyway, so I started sharing some of my story um, and I had the, they were all hooked, especially her. Like, she and I became very, very close. Anyways, and so that was either 10 or 11 years ago. Again, a fuzzy time. And I've been going there ever since. Um, and it's because of that lack of shame stuff. I'm not even following my notes. Anyway, so, so that's what draws me there. And when I think of restorative justice, when I was talking to Danny about it, of course Precious Lamb comes up because, man, I don't know, I'm sh I know everybody in here has felt on the outside of something, right? It's some place that we've been at. But as I mentioned, it's this criteria that we have in our circle that these women, I'm telling you, like most of them, don't fit any of that. 
And I feel like our call is, my call, our call, is what Jesus kind of did, right? <laughs> I, know what, <laughs> I know it's not a new concept, but what Jesus did was he went and like hung out. We were praying about this earlier. It's like he went and hung out with people who didn't fit that criteria. Actually, the people that fit the criteria, he's the one who said, you need to repent. You need to change. You are the one that's not going to make it. He's the only, those are the people he preached to, like preached like that. He went and hung out with these, oh God, I got a call. So anyways, he went and hung out with the people who were not included. And I feel like as part of his humanity, like he had to, I mean, we all need to hang out with people who accept us, right? Who love us, who value us. Those are the people he went and hung out with. You know, because they talk about him going and partying and having dinner and drinking and, like, hanging out with these people. Like, that's, those were his people, right? They accepted him as, a, as someone, not just someone who could save them, but someone who was weird like they were. I mean, Jesus was weird, right? So he was weird like they were, and they were like, yeah, absolutely, you're accepted here. And... Of course, people learn things from him, but I'm telling you, they, ex they didn't accept him because he threatened to send them to hell if they didn't. And I feel like that's what I get to do and be a part of with Precious Lamb. And I know I look like, most people are surprised when they hear some of my story. I know I look like, I fit the mold, right? Like physically, I look like I can do that. But my story, guys, does not. <laughs> And this is where I get to go and be. What we've done recently, let me just tell you real quick, what we've done recently in the last couple of years, we had a donor decide to come in and donate, uh, super generous, more than I could ever do, amount to push people to the next level, to, pit, to, to be able to come underneath, take our power, which in this case was money, and build up a, a few other people to help them get to the next step, again, it's hard to get over that lump. You could be, have your kids back and be sober, and sometimes it's not enough. It takes money, right, and a team. So what we did was we put together a team last year. I'm the spiritual mentor. We have a financial mentor um, and a couple other people, a, a social worker, and we meet with them all together once a month. I meet with them twice a month. And they have to apply for this scholarship. And they get a little bit of extra money and support to be able to go to school, right? So they, um, last year we had two. Started without the pandemic. And then the pandemic happened. And one of them was able to finish her, this is after being in prison, right? But finish her AA degree, be on the dean's list, be invited to apply for valedictorian. And the other one completed her uh, drug and alcohol abuse counseling certificate. And it's been such an incredible blessing to be able to see these women grow. So I just wanted to tell you what they are about. Um, Danny asked me to share some of the personal stuff, but I want you to know how great they are. So I'm done. If you have any other questions, because I'm sure I missed a lot of stuff. If you have any other questions, please come to me. I'm more than willing to tell you anything you want to know. And... Um, yeah, that's it. Thanks for letting me share.
Thank you so much, Holly. Um, as I was thinking about our story, I was reminded of um, um, a few years back, there was this um, church that's not too far away from here that decided to send three busloads full of uh, congregants to an inner city to help paint over the graffiti and clean up the streets. Um, and there was a young girl who lived in that neighborhood that saw the buses coming in and heard about it. And she just was in delight as she saw, like, uh, other kids her age um, coming down from the bus. And so she went back into her home and pulled out the jump rope and some other toys and waited patiently as she watched this um, church group, um, you know, clean up her neighborhood. As the day came to a close and she was still waiting to play with the kids from the church, um, all of a sudden she noticed that um, they started boarding back into the bus. And she was interviewed by some reporters there, and they were asking her about, you know, how does it feel that your city is cleaned up or your neighborhood is cleaned up? And she was crying. And she said, I feel like they just came and went. They didn't, like, play with me. They didn't get to know me. They didn't get to know the joy of my neighborhood, basically, is what she was saying. And... As I think about that, I, I realize that this girl so much spoke so much wisdom to the problems of, you know, how we look at the disparity that's going on. We kind of want to go in and go out. But I think what Holly and Barbara and Mary Trine have, like, done so beautifully, you know, and along with other people here is, you know, how do we, like, engage and be present? Because it's not so much about doing but it's about being. How do we put ourselves in proximity with those who suffer so that we can be close enough to develop real relationships of reciprocity with them? Because Romans tells us that we have to learn what love is, and that is to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And so that's my prayer for, you, for all of us, that we would like pay attention to our hearts this week. Pay attention to the walls that we build up, right? Whether it's like real walls or the way we look away when we see somebody in need. Pay attention to what that reveals about ourselves and what the Spirit of God is actually calling us to do. And right now I want to pray for us and Precious Lamb because they're um, going through a lot right now. Their executive director actually is transitioning. And she's like, Lelaini is such an incredible executive director. And it's such a big loss. And so we want to pray for her, but after I pray, I want to call Gabby up to come up forward, um, as we usually do, you know, during the song. We'll have her come up and just pray for anyone who wants to come forward and just ask for prayer. And so let me pray right now. God in heaven, thank you so much for our precious lambs and how that space is a place where people can come and be fully accepted. And place where, God, they don't have to be shamed, but God just loved. And so, God, help, thank you that that's a transformative place for everyone involved. And God, as a community, I pray that as we think about all the things we're going through as a church, that we would remember that the most important thing is to love. And God, help us that, help that to be our mindset, our calling, our purpose. 
And so God, reveal the dark areas that are keeping us from love. Help us pay attention to the fears, to the scarcity. Instead, help us to live in light of your love so that we can live and love like Jesus. And pray for precious lambs that God will help them in this time of transition. Bless Lelaini, but also bring into this um, group a person who will lead the way. And so we pray these things in Christ's name.